morning, everybody. Good morning. Yeah, sometimes I can't read my own notes either, so <laughs> that's a reality. It really is. But it's always a privilege. It really is always a privilege. You've got to change something. Yeah, this is wrong. Okay. Is that better? A little bit better. All right. I'll just keep going. All right. So it always is a privilege. I mean it. It's a privilege. It's never anything I want to take for granted to be able to bring God's word. And I was saying to Michelle earlier this morning while we were worshiping, it's amazing. You never, ever not get nervous. It's just an amazing fact. It's, you think after a while you will just, but you don't. But it's a privilege, which is fine. It's good. God is good, eh? This morning while praying, I just had a sense that there's a couple that are wanting to have children. And I'm not saying you have to say who you are unless you choose to, but for some reason you have not been able to have children. And I felt God say, he's going to give you children. So if you, yeah, I just want to say that to you. I just want to encourage you that it will happen. Uh, tell a story about a couple of years ago, I don't know how many years ago, uh, five, six years ago, I was down in Alabama in a church there, and I was doing a Saturday morning uh, teaching, equipping, whatever you want to call it, and some people responded for prayer. And the couple, one of the couples, I asked them, they were young, and I said, would you like to have children? And understand the husband and wife have to agree with this, just so you know. <laughs> you have to be in agreement with this, okay. So they both said to me, yes, but we can't have children. And as they said that, I just felt God say, just break barrenness. So there weren't many people. There were probably 60, 70 people there. And I said, is there any other couple here that is wanting to have children but are not able to? And 10 couples came forward. 10. And so we got them up front, and we, I asked them to do a few things and whatever, and uh, just work out some forgiveness issues if they had to. And then we just prayed a simple prayer. Father, you're the one who gives life. Make these wombs fruitful. Deal with whatever needs to be dealt with in order that they can be productive and bring forth the children that you so desire. 18 months later... I got a letter from the guy who leads the church. Nine of those couples had kids. Nine. So I say that just to encourage you. Just to encourage you. Just to encourage you. So Father, whoever that couple is, whether online, and welcome to those online, whether sitting here, I just declare your word over them. They will produce those children which are on your heart in the name of Jesus. And I rebuke every hindrance that stops that in the name of Jesus. Amen. I love the way Jesus prayed. It was always simple. Be healed, come out, just three, four words, done. It's amazing. <laughs> it really was. It's amazing. I trust this morning, I've really loved the series Clayton's been doing. I don't know how many of you have on the Holy Spirit. I can't even remember what it was called, Origins and? Acts, Acts and Origins, or out of the book of Acts. I really have enjoyed it. It's been tonic to me. It's been refreshing. It's been wonderful. He has an incredible ability just to impart the word and bring some understanding and insight to it. And so I want to piggyback off that a little bit. And this morning I want to talk about the necessity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I pray that as we go through this, what I have, what I have this morning, your hearts will be stirred afresh, that you'll give him time for him to work in and through you. And I pray a cry would come forth out of your heart, saying, God, we need your Holy Spirit in and through our lives. It's always amazing to me. How God comes and calls us when we are in a depraved state. He comes by his grace and his goodness and he calls us. He comes by his power of his love and he rescues us and he redeems us out of the hold, out of the clutches of the devil and translates us into the kingdom of his son. That's incredible good news. He calls us to himself first and then he puts destiny and purpose in our hearts. 
It's not always just about salvation. In Jesus, we are rescued from the dominion of darkness. And then God enables us to take hold of the abundant life, the promises that he has for you and I. Not only about forgiveness of our sins, but it's to deliver us from the power of sin. See, God's way of doing things is altogether different from the way that man does things. Man's way is trying to suppress sin by seeking to overcome it. God's way is to remove sin. God pulls us out of the river of sin and then pulls the river of sin out of us. He's just amazing. It's the ability that God has to do that, and it's wonderful. The real purpose of becoming a Christian is not so much to save ourselves from hell and go to heaven, as we've said again and again, but to become a child of God, align the Father through the Holy Spirit to form the character of Jesus within us. And I have a way to go. <laughs> within us. So the splendor of his glory, the splendor of his majesty, the splendor of his goodness can be displayed to a dying world through you and I. Please remember, and I've said this again, Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. We were dead in our sins and transgressions. But to live this life is impossible without the Holy Spirit. Impossible. It really is impossible. Without the Spirit of God, we will not be able to do anything that will last in the kingdom of God. Nothing. Absolutely, absolutely nothing. I'll just throw these down here. It's old school. <laughs> God can come with power. He can come with power right now. And we're always trusting that he does come with power. And many will experience that. But by next week, it can wear off us because we can have the power of God come but not really know the Holy Spirit. But when the person of the Holy Spirit comes and when we walk with him and we know him, we will experience daily his daily presence and power flowing from his personhood. Amen. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's God. And when we get a little bit of theology and truth and we walk with him, his power will rub off on us every day, and he will reveal Jesus to us and glorify Jesus. He will not give us a Bible study about Jesus or some self-help scheme or some psychology course or academic information from the Bible. He will give you the tangible, supernatural, living reality of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he will give you. Truth is there to lead us to God and experience God. Not as a replacement for God. People can love to quote the Bible and how much they know of it, but that's not the issue. How much God do they have? We can know the Bible from back to front, but carry very little tangible presence of God in our lives. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And as we develop to learn, to walk with Him, to listen to Him, to surrender to him, to heal to him, to appropriate what he wants to bring in our lives. He makes Jesus more real to us. He really does. So I want to briefly, briefly, we're going to do a lot of scripture, show you the absolute necessity of the Holy Spirit to create a hunger and a desire and give us some faith and assurance. Amen. Because of the way I got saved, and I don't have time to go into it today. Oh my, they gave me... Some bottles of water, hallelujah. Because of the way I got saved, I came out of, for those that don't know, because I know there's a number of new people, I, my background was not a church background. I had not gone to church in my life other than to get married to my precious wife. And that's because the guy we went and asked to marry us, I said, you have to come to church. So we went on Sunday, he married us the following Saturday, and I never went back. Because it just was not a focus on my life, it was not real for me, um, Oh, thank you. Oh, my son's looking after me. <clears throat> All right, thank you, Clayton. Thank you. It's very kind of you. And, um, but 
just to make it short, so I never had a background. I never had a church background. We never discussed the Bible. We never, any of that, in any form or any shape. Uh, but my wife attended old church down the road when we moved from one city to the next, and she came home and she said, listen, can we do the youth? And I said, yeah, sure we can do the youth because I love young people. So we started to take the youth on a Friday. And so I felt out of that I needed to possibly go and visit the church, which I did. But it did, I'm being honest, it didn't mean much to me. Lovely guy that led the church, and this carried on for about a couple of years. And by the grace of God, these young people, we started with eight and it grew to 120 people. Just by the sheer, sheer grace of God. And I just, they used to come and ask me, you know, about God. And I said, don't worry, God loves you. I don't know what else to tell them. I'm just being honest. And um, then Michelle came home and said, can we go to, I'm just trying to short circuit this, can we go to a family retreat? I didn't want to go because I'm very into sport and there was a lot of sport on that weekend. The FA Cup final was that weekend and it was a big long comrades marathon race and, but she convinced me. So I put the TV in the trunk of the car. I honestly did. <laughs> so when we got there, I could watch the sport, <laughs> but I couldn't find an aerial and whatever the case is. TV was fairly new in South Africa in those days. But uh, on that weekend, <clears throat> there was a guy from YWAM who was preaching. I still said to Michelle, these people are brainwashed. But um, you know, God works, eh? Despite ourselves. And he said, if people want prayer, come forth for prayer. So I said to Michelle, I don't know why, but I think I need to go forth for prayer. I didn't understand it. I had no concept. I had nothing. So they prayed for me, two young guys prayed for me, and I started to weep very gently. And as I wept, the one young guy turned to the other one and said, why is he crying? You pray for him, because when I pray for him, he cries. So <laughs> the other guy prayed for me. And um, I, I, that's really what happened. And, uh, and uh, I went and sat down. And that, when I sat down, I felt for the first time in my life, I was 32 years old, that there was a God, but I never knew this God. That's what, I now know God was drawing me, now I understand it, but then I didn't. So I thought maybe I need to go to um, university to study theology, because I thought maybe that's how you get to know God. That's how I was thinking, but that's not how you get to know God. And uh, so I started to slowly attend the church a little bit. Michelle came back again from the church and said, listen, again on the family retreat again, a year later, I said, let's go. And it was at that retreat a man was preaching. Sorry. A man was preaching, then he stopped preaching. It was 11 o'clock on a Friday morning. I'll never forget it. And there were about 300 of us sitting there. <clears throat> Understand, I'm out of my comfort zone. And this, is, this, is not, this is not me. I'm not, this is, I have no background. I have no filter for what's happening. And he said, God wants to deal with people, touch people. So I stood up to have a look what was going to happen. And when I sat down, that's when God got hold of me. I never prayed the sinner's prayer, but I broke. I saw in my mind's eye Christ die on the cross for me, and it absolutely broke me inside. Broke me. The love that I perceived coming towards you. You know when you're horrible to somebody and they just love you back? That's how I felt, but magnify that a thousand times. That day I fell in love with Jesus Christ. I felt like somebody put his hand inside me and shook me and turned everything out. Stuff just lifted off me. I absolutely fell in love with you. I had no understanding of what happened. I had no theology. I'd never read the word, but I knew I loved Jesus. I knew I loved Jesus. I knew the reality of something that has shifted and changed in my life and my heart. And then nine months later, a door opened for us to go into full-time ministry. But after that weekend, sorry, I do need a tissue. Bit, oh, they're right here. No wonder they are. Excuse me. After that weekend, I went home on the Monday because it was a weekend. And I went and bought a Bible. And I started to read it. And I started to read the Gospels. I could not get enough of the Gospels. And when I saw what Jesus did, the desire in my heart was to do what he did, just because I saw it in the Bible. Nobody told me anything. Just the, God put such a hunger. It wasn't me. It was God working in me. You understand what I'm saying? 
And so because of the way I got saved, I knew like I knew, like I know, that did not happen because of me. That happened because of him, because of his goodness and his grace. And so my whole Christian life started off from that foundation, understanding God, unless you do the work in my life, nothing's going to happen. Unless you do the work in my life, nothing's going to happen. Even though I know you and I love you, unless you continue, unless you do the work in me, nothing's going to change. And so I started to pursue that avenue. I started to look in Scripture. I started to read. I started to try and get an understanding of it. And I came to see that unless the Spirit of God works in our life, we will not change, even as a Christian. Unless I cannot change my wife. I tried for 41 years. No, I didn't. <laughs> she cannot change me. Do not try and change your spouse. Please. Let God do it. Don't try and change your children. Let God do it. It has to be a work by the hand of God. It has to be. It has to be. Otherwise, it will not last. It will not last very long. And so it was as a result of that experience and some of other experiences I started to read and understand. Because the Holy Spirit is always pointing towards Jesus, much of our understanding of the Holy Spirit is indirect. And it's drawn from the fingerprints of his presence in creation and in our lives. So the Bible uses metaphors for the Holy Spirit. He's the wind, he's water, oil, fire, wine. Those are some of the words that describe the activity of the Holy Spirit. This is the terminology to describe the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so I'm going to give you a very brief, and this is very brief, we're going to throw up some slides, of the overview from the Genesis to Revelation of the work of the Holy Spirit. And you'll see even in the Old Testament, God did absolutely nothing with nobody unless the Spirit of God came upon their lives, even in the Old Testament. Even in the Old Testament. So you can throw up the first scripture, Genesis 1. It's in creation. I hope it's going up there. There's a word there that says, right at the back, and the Spirit of God hovered. So even in creation, the Spirit of God was active. The Spirit of God hovered over. The Holy Spirit. And then God spoke, and it came into being. Revelation, right at the end. So at the beginning and right at the end. Scripture says, the Spirit, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. Beginning and the end, the Holy Spirit's involved in every activity that God does. In Exodus chapter 30, it talks about the anointing oil, and God was giving them the instructions on how to make the anointing oil, and I don't want to read, the Scriptures are up there, and how precious this anointing oil is, and how Abram, I mean, sorry, how Moses was to use this anointing oil. So in Exodus 29, I think it's coming up there. So I'm, I'm going through it. We can give you the notes. It says, take the anointing oil, anoint him by pouring it on his head. Talking about Aaron. <clears throat> and then in verse 21, that's uh, Exodus 29, 7. And in verse 21, it says, and take some of the blood and the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments, on his sons, their garments, and on etc., etc. Just let me say this. The Spirit of God will only go where the blood is God. God has been first. The blood has to come and cleanse. Then the Spirit of God will go there. It's not the other way around. That's why they apply the blood first, then the anointing oil. Exodus 31, 1 to 5. This was the man that God called to make the ark of the covenant and all the utensils and the tabernacle. And you can see that what happened. And then I, will, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Even a man to do woodwork, to do woodwork, a man to do woodwork, God had to put his spirit upon him because this was a special work of, that he had to do. Had to be from the spirit of God. If we go to Leviticus 8, 10 to 12, then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything in it, 
Everything in the tabernacle had to have oil poured on it. Every utensil, every furnishing, everything had to have anointing oil poured upon it. You see, this is a type of what's coming in the new. But everything in the old is on the outward. Everything in the new is in the spirit, in the heart. But it shows us, it points towards what's coming, and then it, you can carry on reading it. Then you go to Deuteronomy 34.9. It's about Joshua, when God called Joshua. And God told Moses what to do, and he said, I'll put my spirit, my spirit that's on you, I'll take it and put it on Joshua. And if you go to Numbers, sorry I've missed the scripture, Numbers 11, 16 to 17, when God said, this work is too arduous for you, Moses, you need people to help you. He said, call people that you know, and I will take my spirit that's on you, and I'll put it on them. And they started to prophesy. So even in calling leadership, it has to be by the spirit of God. It has to be. It cannot be by man's understanding. It cannot be by man's, oh, he will make, no, no, no. Has the Spirit of God called him into leadership? That's why in the Acts, Acts chapter 6, it says when they chose the first deacons, the seven, they said they were full of the Spirit and wisdom. That was the qualification in a sense. Judges chapter 3. You can see when the people of Israel cried out, what did God do? He raised up a leader and put his spirit upon him to help them. Judges chapter 6, verse 34. I know I'm going through this fast because we're saving time. Gideon, the spirit of God had upon, come upon Gideon to do what God called him to do. Judges 13, 24 to 25. Samson. Tells you about Samson and how the Spirit of God had to come upon Samson. And then because of his disobedience, in a sense, it left him. But later on, it came back to him. And in his death, he was all more victorious than in his life. Wonderful picture of Jesus. 1 Samuel 10, when the people of Israel asked for a king. And then Samuel had... God showed him who it was, King Saul, but he had to have this anointing oil poured upon him. It's chapter 10, chapter verse 1 and verse 6. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, when David was anointed king, he had to have the anointing of oil. And the difference between Saul and David, Samuel the prophet used a horn, sorry, used a flask for King Saul, but he used a horn for King David, and there's a vast difference. A flask is man-made, a horn is not. Even in little things like that, you can see the God taking further. And then in Ezra, well, Ezra 1, 1 to 5, when God had promised to bring the people of Israel back, he said, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, the pagan king, but the Lord came and moved on his heart to fulfill the promise, but it had to be the moving of God on somebody's heart in order to do it. Isn't it interesting? And then later he moved on the hearts of his own people to go back and build the temple again. So I just took you quickly through the Old Testament just to show you how important we need the Holy Spirit. Now in the New Testament, I've put up some slides, the absolute necessity of the Holy Spirit, the new, and I've, all I've done is I've put a column for Jesus and then for his body or for us. And I can show you as uh, Clayton has said, Jesus was fully God and fully man, but all of his ministry was done as a man, light, rightly related to his Father in heaven, anointed with the Spirit of God. That's how he did his ministry here on earth. That's why he could say, and the things I have done, you will do much greater. Because when you are rightly related to your Father in heaven and you keep this relationship right and allow the anointing of my spirit and my power of my spirit to rest upon your life, you'll do what I have done. Because it's not you doing it. So in John, I've said John 14, and forgive me for just repeating some of these scriptures. That's why Jesus said, when they asked Jesus, are you the way, the truth? And he says, yes, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm going to the Father. Philip said, show us the way. I am the way. He said, Philip, don't you understand the work that I do, excuse me, is not me doing it. But it's the Father in me that's doing it. Because I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. The work you do is not me doing it. It's the Father's work. He lives in me and he's doing the work. So the work that you see is not me doing it. That's what Jesus said. 
but it's the Father in me by the anointing of the Spirit doing this work. Therefore, you will do or I'll do because I will be in you and you will be in me like I was in the Father and the Father was in me. So I'll be in you and you'll be in me and you'll do what I'm doing because you're not doing it, I'm doing it through you. That's the simplicity of Christianity. That really is the simplicity of Christianity. Amen. Don't ask me to say that again. Because <laughs> I can't. <laughs> and so I, did just, I just went through the Bible and said, all right, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary. The Holy Spirit on the Virgin Mary. And down through the ages, people have tried to attack that. Down through the ages. And the scripture's up there. I haven't typed them out, you can see it. And then the next scripture, two, Luke 2, 40, it says, How Jesus, how the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was filled with wisdom and grace of God was upon him. Luke 2, 40, that word wisdom, and he was filled with wisdom, is the word sophie, which literally means this, knowledge of how to regulate one's relationship with God. That's what it means. So as a child, Jesus was wisdom, and the Father was teaching him, as fully man, how to regulate his life with his Father in heaven. That's what he was doing. And so when it comes to us on that side, the Bible says, unless we're born of the Spirit, we will not enter the kingdom of God. We will not see the kingdom. Jesus said, I tell you, you need to be born again. That's John 3 up there. You have because flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Has to be born again. Has to be born again by the spirit of God. And I nearly preached on today to see, because there's so much happening in today, and there's a hunger in people's hearts wanting to know the Lord, how to begin to recognize when God is on someone, an unbeliever, and calling them to himself. And we can work with that. Because the Holy Spirit has to do it, people. The Holy Spirit has to awaken people to their need. He awakened me to my need. So for a year before I got saved, I left that out. I cried out to him. I used to go in my bedroom and close my door and kneel because I saw it in the movies and just say, God, please change me because I cannot change. But he put that in me. He awakened a need in me. I came to have to understand I needed God. And unless people know they need God, we cannot tell them how to get saved until they know they need Him. Because you're going to short-circuit everything. The Holy Spirit has to put a need in them. And they begin to cry out. And we can learn to recognize that and work alongside Him. And then He will bring conviction to them. And he will prick their heart. And I love what I took. Now you see, this is the difference. That's Clayton's notes. That's my notes. Okay, just thought, <laughs> that's new school. That's old school. But anyway. And last week, Clayton said, when the Holy Spirit cut these people to their hearts in Acts chapter 2. Remember he spoke about that? When the Holy Spirit came and Peter stood up and said, that is what Joel prophet prophesied. That which is happening is what God said many years ago. And the people said, listen, the people said, what must we do to get saved? God has started to work in their hearts and they awakened the need in them. And the Bible says they were cut to their hearts. That word cut means to be pricked, pierced through with sharp pain, agitated right through. It's likened to godly sorrow. It's likened to deep desperation, which throws up dignity to acquire something. And when God got hold of my heart, when I was 33 years old, I wept so much, Michelle can remember. I wept and I wept because he broke my heart. My nose ran, I, I can picture. And it was these long strands. <laughs> they were long. I, could, I was sitting on a chair and I was shaking and weeping and I opened my eyes and these long strands were going down. <laughs> you know, when you cry about these long, I could see the pool forming at the bottom there. But it doesn't worry you. Because God has got older you, so you throw dignity. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, I mean, I can really pitch. They were long, trust me. 
<laughs> yeah. It can be a deep desperation which throws up. It is a sudden and terrible recognition of your state without God. People need to come to that. And only God can bring them to that place. No man can bring them to that place. And we need that. So when you pray for your loved ones, when you pray for those that don't know the Lord, pray that God would awaken them. Awaken them. Awaken them. Awaken them. And you'll know God has begun to awaken them when they ask you questions. We had moved down to Cape Town. Early on, we had been saved. I'd been saved one or two years. And uh, a family friend of uh, Glenda and Henny, what was Glenda to you? A cousin. A cousin and a husband came to visit us. And uh, he, he could see the change that had happened in me, so he started to ask questions. And I only told him what I knew then. I just had the revelation of Abram killing his son Isaac and how God supplied the ram, how God provided. And that was a revelation to me in those days. And I was telling him this because it was so real to me. Just how Abram took his, Abram took his son to kill him, but God stayed his hand. But God took his son to the cross and did not stay his hand. And he just sat and listened to me. And then he broke. He got born again that night. It was wonderful. And all I did was tell him a story about Abram. Then her brother came down about six months later. And all I told him was I knew. And that was casting out demons at that stage. So I'm telling her brother about casting out demons. Now you're telling somebody about an unbeliever about this realm. And we chatted to three o'clock in the morning. And he said to me, Ken, so you're telling me I'm a surrender, my life, my wife, my kids, my finance, my car, my business, my everything. I said, Craig, you got it. That's it. That's the lot. You got to give it to him. So he looked at me, because he, he's a lawyer. So I said, Craig, I'm going to bed. I'm tired. It was 3 o'clock in the morning. So in the morning, when he got up and we sat at the breakfast table, he put a piece of paper on the table. And he said, yeah, it is. He had written out a contract to God. That's his way of doing it. And he said, I surrender my life, my wife, my boat. He had a boat at that stage. My, my business, my car, my wallet, my everything. And he signed it. God had got hold of his heart. God's got to do it, people. God's got to do it. So I'm taking far too long on this. And then we get born again. John 1, the Bible says, it's not through the will of man or the arm of man. To those who believed him and received him, he gave the right. God gave the right to become children of God. Born not of natural descent, nor of a man's decision, but born of God. John 1, 12, 13, 12 and 13. And folk, when somebody gets born again, just to help us, the Spirit of God will witness to them that they're born again. Don't tell anybody that they're saved. Let them tell you. Let them tell you. Don't tell them. Let them come to you and say, you know what happened? Yes, because they've got to have the witness in their life. That's what the other scripture says. God will witness, the Holy Spirit will witness to their, in their heart, they're saved. You don't have to tell them. God will tell them they belong. Oh, you're my child now. Wonderful. And when this happens, the Bible says, I've got all the scriptures over there, in our hearts we'll cry out, Abba, Father, Romans 8. Just like Jesus, when he got baptized in water, he came out, the Spirit of the heaven opened, and what did the Bible says? The Father said, this is my son. When you get born again, this is my son. This is my daughter. You'll know it in your heart. This is my son. I've rescued from darkness. You didn't have to rescue Jesus, but the same thing. He confirms sonship on us. Amen. Number two, you get empowered from on high. When you get baptized with the Holy Spirit, Jesus had to get empowered from high. The scriptures are up there, Luke 3 and Luke 4. 
And for thus, it's X18, X239. You can go through it. I don't want to go through all the different places where the Holy Spirit came and empowered people, just like they had to do with Jesus. Number three, Jesus had to be led by the Spirit. You can go read it. You can go home and read it. The Bible says the Spirit of the Lord led him into the wilderness. The Spirit of God led him there. It was not Jesus' decision. The Spirit of the Lord led him. The Spirit of God led him there. And then the Bible says when he came out, he came out with power. That's what he did. And if you read the, the Luke 5.17, the Bible says Jesus walked into an area and he realized the presence of God was there to heal. Isn't that amazing scripture, that? And just like us in Romans 8, 14, it says all those that are led by the Spirit are sons of God. So we need to be led by. Galatians 5, 16 says, because you were born by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5, 5, 25 says, so live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Jesus had to hear and obey the voice of God. And I've listed a whole scriptures where Jesus said, I can do nothing of myself. And I just want to read one. I want to read this one. John, I should have written it down there for time's sake, and I'll read this one. But I encourage you to go read all those scriptures in John. Read all those scriptures in John. I want to read this one. John 12, 49 says this. This is an amazing scripture to me. This is Jesus speaking. For I do not speak of my own accord. For I do not speak of my own accord. But the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. Isn't that amazing? Jesus said that. The Father tells me what to say and even tells me how to say it. He had to hear the voice of his Father on a daily basis and obey it. That's why he said, not my will be done, but yours, Father. I surrender to you. I heal to you. And then the Bible says, John 10, that we will hear the voice of God. And I believe in my personal walk, the single biggest factor in your Christian walk is the ability to hear the voice of your Father. It'll come through the Word, however, we're not talking on that today. Hebrews 3, 7 says, so when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, and he's quoting Psalm 95. Resisting temptation and standing firm. That's how Jesus did it. He quoted Scripture. Scripture came up and he quoted it. That's how we do it, and all the scriptures are there. I don't have time to go into it. Jesus became the giver of life, the source of life. John 6, 63, Jesus said, The Spirit, the words I speak are life. Gone out of my mind. Spirit and life, thank you. The words I speak are spirit and life, John 6, 63. So John 7, 37 says, The Spirit of God will be in you like a fountain welling up to come out of you. Amen. It's a source of life. I encourage you, go study 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 13. It's talking about the old covenant and the new, the glory in the old and the glory in the new, that it can only come by the Spirit of God. Next one, the anointing for the task. You can see it there. John 10, oh, Clayton's so nice. And, oh, I'll leave them there. John 10, 38 says this, how Jesus of Nazareth, whenever you see that same Jesus talking about his humanity, his full, how Jesus of Nazareth, how Jesus of Nazareth went around doing good because God was with him, the anointing was with him, and releasing everybody from the power of the devil. I've paraphrased it. Because the anointing, the Spirit of the Lord and the presence of God was upon him. And then Acts 1.8, we need the anointing and the whole lot of scriptures there. 1 John 2 tells us how the anointing will teach us. So the anointing will take what I'm saying today, whatever it may be, and it will mean one thing to one person and another thing to another person. That's what the anointing does. The anointing teaches. Amen. <clears throat> and then the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit. Well, it was his life. And for us, there's the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit. So I bring, I've got two minutes left. So I've tried to show right through Scripture how we desperately need the Holy Spirit and how do we need to cultivate a lifestyle of walking with the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will always point us towards Jesus. But I believe there are two main ingredients that will foster this in your heart, in my heart. And foster this in the life of this church. And I pray we never lose these two ingredients. Very important. Two key, I don't know what, I don't know what to call them. I even asked Michelle, what do I call these things? I've just called them two activities or attributes that we need to foster within our lives. 
The first one is this. The cross positions us to receive. In other words, because of the cross, we become children of God. Now we're positioned to receive. But we need to allow the cross to continue to work in us, in our lives. And the way we do that, because as we do that, we appropriate more of what Jesus won for us. The way you do that is simple. How? Surrender. 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 That's how it happens. And it's in big things and small things. So even when we were graciously called to come to this wonderful nation, and I know Jane Barbara is sitting in, and they were very, very active in it. In actual fact, if it wasn't for them and the Lord, we wouldn't be here. But how God told us to come to this nation. And then he put it on that man's heart and that family to facilitate that. And we had a decision to make. Do we listen to God? Do we heal and surrender? Because we had to leave Clayton behind and Chantel behind. They didn't want to come. I don't know why. I look at the dad and the mom, but anyway. <laughs> and I, I tell you now, it was not easy. Her mother was dying. What do you do? So we surrendered. Thank the Lord we did. <laughs> Thank God we did. I'm not boosted. Thank the Lord we did. He gave us grace to surrender. So we climb on a plane in Johannesburg and fly to New York. It's 18 hours. And that plane, Michelle said to me halfway through, when we land in New York, because they weren't flying to DC at that stage, I'm going back. You can stay. I'm going back. That's what you said to me. We wept. We wept on that plane. We wept. I'm just being honest with you. We wept. We wept. It wasn't an easy decision. We wept. That's why she said to me, halfway through, I'm going back. You can stay. I said, Michelle, you can't do this. She said, I'm going back. I'm going back. But Lord had another nine hours to work on our heart. So the air steward used to come and say anything to one, and she's crying, and I'm crying. So she looks at us, and just walks past us. She came back an hour later. She, we're crying. She walks past us. She didn't even speak to us because she, was so, she thought we were having a fight or something. But I'm so thankful that we did. We love this place. We love this nation. We love these people, and we have precious friends here. God has given us more in the 19 years that I've been in this nation, that he did when I was 50 years in South Africa. He's given us more. <laughs> but we've got to yield, we've got to surrender. You've got to surrender in little things. Because the Holy Spirit will come and speak to you. And then we have the choice. Do we yield to his voice or don't we? <clears throat> it's little things as well. It's little things. It's in your relationship with your family, with your wife. It's in your relationship with your friends. <laughs> and that's how he begins to work in us even more. That's how the cross really takes root in us. Because at the cross, everything has been won for us. I don't have, I have more to go through it, but I just don't have time. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Just let me say this. The greater the reality of the working of the cross in our lives, the greater the working of God by the Holy Spirit. Because you're working our lives as we surrender. He brings the resurrection life of Christ real to us as we surrender. That's what begins to happen. See, even when Michelle and I have had fights, and I've always said it's always her fault, but anyway, <coughs> no. How God has spoken to me. Ken, go apologize. Your mind, you say, but I wasn't wrong. Your heart says, go apologize. Your mind says, but I did nothing wrong. Your heart says, go apologize. Who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah? You've got to healed. 
And then he'll work it in you by his grace and goodness. The second one is this. And if you can turn to Ephesians. Sorry, I don't think the scripture's up there. I don't know if I gave you the scripture, so I apologize. Ephesians chapter one. We're coming to an end. Can you give me another five minutes? Ephesians chapter one. From verse one to verse, sorry, I didn't give you the scripture, guys, at the back. Verse one to verse five is all about the purpose of the Father. What the Father purposed for us. What the heart of God was for us, the heart of the Father. From verse seven to verse 12 is the provision made by his son, Jesus Christ. From verse 13 to verse 14 is how the Holy Spirit did it, did that work. So all three are involved. But I want you to notice what is at the end of verse six. After it talks about the purpose of the Father, it says, to the praise of his glorious grace. And I want you to notice after verse, end of verse 12, when it talks about what Jesus will do, it says, who were first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Then when the Holy Spirit comes and does the work, what's the last phrase? To the praise of his glory. Three times it says that in these 14 verses. Everything God does in our heart has to be to the praise of his glory. Man cannot put his hands on it. Man cannot take ownership of it. Man cannot say, look at me. Man cannot say how great his giftings are. Please, people, let's point to him. It's by the praise of his glorious grace. Isaiah 61 says, the Spirit of the Lord will come and do this and this and this and this. And at the end of verse 3 it says, for the display of his splendor. The more we can learn to say this is a work of God and not the work of man, the more we can take our hands off, the more we cannot point to ourselves and look what I did, the more the Spirit of God will work. Because the Spirit of God will always, always point to Jesus Christ, not to a man. It's not about giftings, although we need to know we gift. It's not even about the anointings on our life. It's about to the display of his splendor. To the display of his splendor. To the display of his splendor. I stand here because of his grace. No other reason. Not earned, not worked for, not deserved in any form or any fashion or any way. It's to the praise of of his glorious grace. That's what it is. Surrender and let's give him praise. No man. We honor people, we thank them, we esteem them, but we give him praise. Last slide. Thank you for your time. You give me eight minutes. So that's how this was done. To be in Christ, I said it last time, that is redemption. But for Christ to be in you, that is sanctification, set apart for his life to be lived through you. To be in Christ, that makes us fit for heaven. But for Christ to be in you, that makes you fit for earth. To be in Christ, that changes your destination. But for Christ to be in you, that changes your destiny here on earth. One makes heaven your home, the other makes the world his workshop. Amen. All done by the Holy Spirit. Foster a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Speak to him. Get to know him. Get to know his promptings, his voice, the nudges he gives you. The more we do that, the more he shows us. The more he reveals Christ us. The more he works through us to the praise of his glorious grace. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for, thanks for your time. Can you pray for us? Yes, of course. <laughs> Father, I wonder if you can just close your eyes a minute.
That's it, easier. Easier. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like the Lord would say, to some people, there's nothing in your life, there's nothing that you've done, there's nothing that seems to have taken hold of you that I cannot deal with, that I cannot set you free from. Nothing. Nothing. Father, I thank you Thank you for the provision of the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for your incredible sacrifice, for the price you paid. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for making it all real to us. Continue. We give you the freedom to work in our lives. Continue to change us to the image of Jesus. Continue to work through us to the glory of your grace, to the glory of your grace. Thank you for what you're doing here. And we say to you again, Father, we will take our hands off. We will take our hands off and let you have your way. Teach us, continue to teach us as a church for that to happen. Show us. Show us, I pray, Holy Spirit. I pray for every family, every male, every father, every mother, every child, every father, every daughter. I pray for your grace to rest upon them. For the power of you, Holy Spirit, to work in and through them. And I thank you that you will seal it because your word says you seal the work that you do. You seal it, Holy Spirit. Seal the work even you've done this morning. In the name of Jesus. Amen.